Welcome to Carbon Trading Chronicles, the podcast that untangles the complexities and potentials of emissions trading. Whether you're an industry expert or simply curious about how emissions trading supports the energy transition, this podcast is your platform to join the conversation. Happy New Year, everyone. Um, welcome to Carbon Trading Chronicles. My name is Stefan. I'm Head of Analysis at uh, Vertis. Here with me today is Riham, a Senior Analyst with us in the team. And we have uh, Sophie, Senior Policy Analyst at our sister company, SDX. Welcome, everyone. We're looking into a new year. Uh, 2023 was already quite exciting, especially the last couple of weeks for, for carbon. Um, now we have, before we dive into the topic, basically, we have this little thing here uh, in this podcast where we ask people if they're bullish or bearish, you know, without necessarily giving too much uh, reasons why. Today, we're going to do it a little bit different because it's a new year. So we're going to uh, look into bullish or bearish for the year, basically. I want to ask you, Riham, uh, bullish or bearish? That is tricky. Like, I'm all sideways, but then I'll go <laughs> for this year. I'll go bearish. And uh, myself, I would say I'm, um, I'm I'm bearish for 2024, at least for the first half year or so. I will have to see a little bit how emissions go. We're going to discuss it in a second. little surprise here for Sophie, who's not necessarily dealing in the EUETS. Uh, she's more focusing on CBAM and other topics. But that's a little surprise for Sophie. Are you bullish or bearish? Oh, um, well, just just to counterbalance what Riam just said, <laughs> I would say I'm bullish. <laughs> just optimistic all the time. That's good. Usually it's a good way to you know hear hear out analysts if they're bullish. If everyone is bullish, then just take a position against it, and that's a pretty good strategy. Exactly. So you better gain your sentiments. Uh, You're taking the advice and um, then you better I, I, gain your yeah, sentiments. Yeah, we bet against ourselves then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about a bit about this year, right? So last year was interesting because last year, initially after 22, that had, you know, a kind of stable or even a growth of emissions and then, you know, kind of bullish development. But then 20, or sideways at least, 2023 uh, started out really initially, well, okay, you know. Oh, started we're gonna with see a bank, like, come on, like, we, we had the price going up to 101 euros. Yeah, right, and, was everyone, was, and everyone was bullish. Yeah, mm. right? exactly. I was like, oh, this is going to, and all the analysts, apart from a few, including us, uh, <laughs> were saying, well, this 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 will keep going. But even us, we were also initially thinking, okay, the, you know, the, the balances are still looking bullish on the longer term, right? Yes. And then when we when we started going into spring uh, and we saw, the, you know, mild winter and we saw the uh, hydro levels of full French nuclear is getting is getting all right. Um, we realized, oh, actually emissions are dropping quite a bit. We didn't expect emissions to drop as much as they did, somewhere around 25% in the power sector uh, over the year. So that was a surprise. Now, the question is, this year, of course, you know, what are we going to see? Are we going to see a continuation of that trend? And I think yeah, 2022 was really a record drought, and you had uh, French nuclear at record low levels. So it's kind of an outlier. If you expect that to stay somewhere, you know, around the mean, then that doesn't mean too much, too good for carbon, especially if you look at, you know, industries still not really recovered. We, we would have expected them to recover more uh, by now, wouldn't we? Yeah, I think so. But then I think the numbers are not showing that, like if industries are recovered or not. Maybe we see an uptick, a slight uptick in emissions, like week on week emissions, for instance, from certain industries. Like we looked at cement last mm -hmm. week, we looked at chemicals and we looked at fertilizers. Some of them are seeing a certain uptick, but then we wouldn't compare it to previous years, for instance. Mm -hmm. So then like it makes you wonder about the production levels, like if those actually are going to retrieve yeah. the, the past yeah, um, it's not really a recovery, right? It's exactly. just slightly less uh, bearish in a way. And then one thing I would say, uh, you know, uh, is 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 a 
quite a big thing still is the repower EU volumes because basically as the price drops because the, the, the amount of how many volumes come into the market through that mechanism based on the price and if the price drops more let's say the price is 100 then pushing around 200 million uh, but if the price is 50 you're pushing 400 million so it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy the further the price drops there could be almost you know the the point of no return if we have a recession if we have um low emissions we have let's say stable stable power output so you don't really need to run a lot of the gas and coal and on top of that a lot of supply coming in exactly that could be really dangerous scenario in a way yeah uh, i mean and like dangerous for look the at the gas because gas of course like it says quite relevant mm. uh, is very relevant mm -hmm. uh, for carbon so if we look at the gas uh, basically it's now the forecasts are for a bearish 2024 and 2025 or potentially up until the end of 2024 maybe 25 like it's still like it's so far out and i know like there are a lot of elements here that you're, go you're going to say that stefan like gas is susceptible to changes just due to um i know changes uh, or some external shocks like for instance mm. uh, connected to the pipelines or um some yeah um, I mean, some conflict happen, yeah. yeah a lot yeah. can happen a lot on the gas happen. yeah exactly yeah. but just taking the supply and demand balances at the moment this is giving a bearish uh, picture yeah. on the gas market for the next yeah. year. Yes, speaking then of carbon, so th that doesn't look too good. You basically would need a rest of the winter that is really cold and, you know, industry coming back strong. I don't know, not just that, it's also then some some of it is also the, the sentiment that plays in, right? Our customers, for example, have, I, I've seen over the last year, basically a gradual shift from uh, expecting very high prices to, you know, kind of sideways. And then as the price dropped further, uh, more and more, instead of actually, you know, buying more and, 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 you know, basically catching the price, it almost felt like, well, maybe, what if this keeps going, right? So, and others were, of course, taking the opportunity, but you're going to have that development. And now if you have uh, hedge funds, which I would assume uh, are going to be mostly bearish going into this year as well, that are, that are on the bearish side. And then utilities that... Maybe there's fuel switch again, right? And, and then not so much hedging going on anymore, just because even the lignite spread is is not looking that rosy yeah, uh, going out further. Right? RW even said we can only have 10% of coal left in 27, I believe. Yes. So who are the buyers, right? Now in 2023, at least the first part of it, I think uh, industrials were natural buyers. I'm not so sure about this year, also because the compliance deadline is shifting. Exactly, it's shifting. Like you have, first of all, the free allocation that is going to be shifted to June um, this year, and then mm. you have the compliance itself in September. But then, maybe I'm dropping the bomb here. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> this is the, the, the thing that we uh, learned from the authorities across different countries in, mm -hmm. in the EU, that there are still some member states that would stick to the actual, or not the actual, let's the say, old, the current, the old, yeah. The old uh, compliance, the old compliance deadline. deadline. So yeah. not September, but April. Exactly. Who are these countries? Um, or who, we, I think we still don't know all of them, right? Because yeah. some of it's still under discussion. It could happen. But where are, how do we have reasonable certainty? So we got confirmations from... From Hungary, uh, mm -hmm. from Slovakia, from Czech Republic, uh, from Bulgaria and Romania. And Romania. Romania yeah, right. of yeah. course. And all of those countries are quite relevant because of the power sector and yeah. the energy composition in those yeah. countries. But that could be, on the other hand, uh, you know, if, to the extent that that's surprising, even to actors in these countries or industrials in these countries that could create a little bit of a, of a bullish pressure. But um, yeah, it's, it's probably also not enough to turn around the, the needle. Uh, let's speak about CBAM now. So um, very quick, the big basics, you have uh, industrial sectors from steel, cement, fertilizers, power, uh, aluminium, 
Am I missing something? Hydrogen. 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 These are the covered sectors, right? The system starts in 2026. In so the compliance obligation is initially just 2.5% of your emissions, um, but then it goes up to 100% by 2034. And uh, But the question really is of your emissions, like, you know, who pays or who is responsible for those CBAM allowances? Um, Sophie, can you can you enlighten us a little bit on these technicalities? Yeah, sure. So uh, it's clearly written in the CBAM regulation that who pays is the importer. So if you are the EU company importing from abroad, this is when when you g- the goods you're imported pass, pass customs, this is when it triggers the, the kind of mm-hmm. CBAM process and this is where you will have to pay. So we started, well, CBAM started... 1st of October, mm-hmm. um, we're now in transition phase, which means you don't have to pay anything, but you still have to do the reporting. The reporting of your emissions, basically, so you have yeah. to calculate them. Um, yeah, and currently, uh, during transition phase, you have to report indirect and direct emissions, mm-hmm. scope one, scope two, mm-hmm. for every goods. That will change in the when you get to the paying phase. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so... Since first of October, all the goods you imported in the in the first quarter, which October, November, December, will have to be declared. There will be a report due by the end of January by the importers to the CBAM authorities. Have to do the the, the whole process, but obviously they need to get the um, data details on emissions from their uh, from their suppliers who are based abroad. So, so if I may jump in, uh, who's the importer? I mean, is is that the person? If I'm buying, you know, uh, steel. Am I automatically the importer or is that a separate entity that basically does those customs declarations and, and kind of, you know, separate company usually? Yeah, so so actually if you are the the EU company like the the one who are buying the, who is buying the product even though you may use a custom broker for example mm. to handle everything you are ultimately the one importing mm. so you are the one responsible for for paying the CBAM uh, digital certificates when mm-hmm. there will be some and you are the one at the moment supposed to do all the CBAM um, like you are responsible for doing the CBAM admin whether you do it directly or you ask your custom broker that's fine. How would I know, Sophie? Um, was, um, so in the directive itself, you have the CN codes that are listed there. You have the unfinished products that are listed there. Yeah. How would I know if I need to comply under the CBAM? Because this is, I think, a question that is creating mm. a lot of headache for everyone yeah. um, that has to comply by it. Uh, yeah. Like I think it also it creates an element of surprise for those yeah. people that don't know <laughs> that actually they need to be under CBAM. Basically, is, is someone going to tell me or do I just have to figure it out myself that I have the obligation? Yeah, so the way it works at the moment when we're in the transition phase, when, when the goods... So initially first you can... Usually, you can prepare, as you mentioned, by checking the CN codes. They, all the CN codes that are, you know, have to comply by CBAM, they are clearly written in the uh, CBAM text. So check that. But also, when you import your goods, if they are in the the right CN codes, that should kind of uh, trigger a uh, CBAM alarm, and then you should get contacted by the customs authorities when you're um, when you're importing those goods, and they should tell you, "Hey, by the way, you just received blah 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 goods, um, and they are uh, they are covered by CBAM, mm-hmm. so you are and you know you have to mm-hmm. do your CBAM reporting." Yeah. And do we know of any entity that received this call from the authorities? So to be honest, I don't know at the moment. So I don't know if the um, custom authorities are doing it like uh, on the, on the go or 
if they just wait like the end of the quarter, like fir- 31st of December, and then like 1st of January, they are going to pick up their phone and then call everybody to say, hey, CBAM mm. declaration due by the end of the month. Start with a happy new year. Yeah, exactly. Like, happy well, new yeah. year, by <laughs> the way. <laughs> yeah, this exactly. massive report. Yeah. That sounds familiar. You know, you know what I heard? Uh, this is a bit of a sidetrack, but I heard this uh, very funny story about the UK and like how the police, if they come to your house to give you some sad news or bad news, they just, they make you, they tell you, can I come to your house and make you a cup of tea? They make you the cup of tea, give it to you, and then they spell the beans and I'm like, oh, wow. That's so like, British. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that custom people are going to call <laughs> exactly. hey, can I come to your house? Make a, can some, I, can I make you a cup you of tea? You, you, you yeah. take your belongings and you run. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but the, the EU recently published the uh, kind of uh, authorities that are d- like kind of covering uh, and handling the CBAM in the transition phase that has been done, I think it was in October, but uh, so it's uh, everything is kind of being pretty new, being put into places. So, uh, yeah, it, it could be a bit of a shock for the first one. And then for, for the ones responsible within the EU, because uh, we've read a lot in, uh, let's say, in the amendments and uh, like the directive that it has to be a CBAM declarant. Um, and Stefan, like, I think we discussed that also quite um, extensively within the team, that it has to be a person that is established in the EU and then they are in contact with third parties um, outside the EU and then they are responsible for the supporting to the authorities, yeah. to the commission, basically. Yeah. So this is our understanding. But then like, how does it play in practice? So in practice at the moment, so when we're in transition phase, uh, you don't really have to have a formal declared CBAM CBAM declarant. When you move to the paying phase, then uh, the the declarants will have to be kind of authorized and, uh, you know, vetted by the EU. You need to declare upfront. At the moment, basically, it's the responsibility of the importers to do all the CBAM bureaucracy, as you said, and they can either do that themselves or they they can use their custom brokers usually to do that. Basically, I think every CBAM declarant will actually be the guys who are already doing custom brokerage or whatever. Mm. Let's speak a little bit about the winners and losers of of this scheme, right? Uh-huh. And and try to figure out yeah who, who wins. Interestingly enough, CBAM was actually originally kicked off, or basically the discussion was kicked off by the cement industry in in Europe. They basically said, well. Uh, you know, it's not a level playing field. You know, cheap cement comes in from outside and we need more protection. And in a twist of plot, I, I would assume, they ended up not just getting the CBAM, which some say they didn't even believe it themselves. They just wanted to argue for something. But they got it with the fact that they also get free allocation reduced, right? Because the commission basically said you cannot have the both. both things at, at the same time, which makes sense. And so the... Um, rate with which allocation gets reduced is the same rate with which the CBAM gets phased in. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right? So that's slow phase initially, 2.5%, 5%, 10%, uh, 22.5%, 48.5%. But it will uh, have an impact by 2030, quite quite a massive one. Now, uh, cement specifically is interesting because it's actually not uh, imported a lot, uh, at least not from China. Uh, China mm-hmm. plays basically no role there. It's It's very heavy to transport, so you can only import it from countries nearby so turkey is a big player there Mm. Um, i think ukraine russia morocco maybe to some extent when we look at the imports from from 2022 and we basically build our forecast based on that we would assume that total imported emissions by based on that are somewhere around 13 million in the cement sector right so that's not huge of course could be more and less uh, depending on many factors emissions factors etc but the free allocation that gets taken away basically in 2030 is yeah four to five times as much yeah so you're creating a deficit here for the industry and then that they need to cover for in the future and then basically it depends on the price forecast of course for these years so like it's a loss on the industry side and exactly. the cement so the, the industry side right 
so they get yeah. 50 somewhere 50 to 60 million less free allocation because of this in 2030 but basically the imports are only 13 mil somewhere at that right 13 million which is not really saying that they get you know they get taken away 50 million and they get 13 million because that just kind of protects them from the outside but it does seem like a mismatch there. Exactly. Mm. But then on the other hand, so you have the steel industry and then how the steel industry, like it's it, it gets, the like it develops or <laughs> evolves somehow, mm. the free allocation, because you have this clause uh, within the directive of the EU ETS and then that protects or tends to protect the steel industry. And like it's about the benchmark amendments and like how changes um, in the years after the changes, um, I, st I think starting 2026. So this, it offers a little bit of protection for, for the steel sector. Mm -hmm. And then also like following the same logic and just employing the same calculations, we figured out that, that the steel industry somehow would be a winner in this because then it wouldn't be a deficit in this case like it would be the other way around yeah, yeah. yeah I mean and it's of course you know these numbers are, are difficult to get right but you it's we, very prelim we, like we, we, we all understand yeah that. we probably have around 120 million uh, imports somewhere around that in 2030 of, of well I'd say steel emissions so to say and the free allocation is probably going to drop around 70 million right so there um, they have some yeah, so net they're, they're yeah. winning yeah they're winning net. but yeah. on the other hand we can't really compare these numbers because it's not that they it's not really a net for them, right? They don't get the CBAM yeah. revenues, mm -hmm. but they get protected. And then the question really is, can they, because of that protection, upscale their European production even more? Because only then they're really winners, right? Mm. Yeah. Only then exactly. it really protects them. Yeah. Yeah. If, if they're still scaling down or staying sideways. And I guess that comes a lot down to the question of e economic growth and in general decarbonization in Europe. I mean, I'm... I'm a skeptic for life. <laughs> 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 and so I, 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 I do not see a reindustrialization uh, very likely in Europe. I, I don't think that's really happening. Even with that, even like, for example, like showing that, you know, mm. steel will be protected. And, and that was probably one of the aim as well of, of CBAM. You don't yeah. think that will have an effect? I mean, if you look at, you know, the trend uh, where it's going, how, how can it turn around really? Maybe it can kind of slow the process. And mm. I think one, one, I mean, one thing regarding CBAM and protecting industries, European industries, I think it really depends how much they export. Because industries have been also showing that, okay, CBAM, I protect them in the European countries, mm -hmm. so in the EU market, that's fine. But when they want to export mm -hmm. into other countries, then yeah. they will get penalized because they will have mm. less free allowances. So they will their product will be um, yes. more expensive. Yeah. And if you export to, I don't know, some countries in Africa when there is no CBAM, yeah. then suddenly you will get you will still get all the cheap steel made with coal coming yeah. from China yeah. that is going to be competitive you know, in competition. So they will probably lose a lot on export. Yeah, that that's but there's still a legislative proposal that's supposed to come forward on that, right? At least uh, when the CBAM was done initially, yeah. uh, they said th they basically couldn't agree on that one. That's why mm. they kicked the export side out of it and said, let's at least agree on the imports first. Yeah, exactly. And then propose something. But I, I don't know. Does anyone know where that stands? Um, uh, as far as I believe, well, I know the EU is supposed to do more communication on that or more analysis still or before yeah, before yeah. before the implementation phase starts i mean th they would assess the entire cbam like the impact of the cbam yeah. and maybe the extension to other sectors like in 2028 this is yeah. when the report is uh due by the european commission right what's the effect then on the that economy is yeah, yeah. That's what about inflation question. yeah what about real estate markets what about mm. for instance the um growth in the again cars <laughs> industry you want to buy yeah. your car which is already going to be more expensive on, because on the other hand maybe 
that's a good thing because you have inflation, so that's that's good for the economy. But in a way, also, no? it affects <laughs> renewable energy because you have the um, the windmills, for yeah, instance, the, the or the solar panels, and then how mm. they are built out, and then and, and the question there is how much of it is really you know what's the price that you pay per ton of steel or per ton of product exactly uh, cost passed through yeah. like how it would be uh, decided on no i'm not an expert on that at all i just read somewhere and i hope that's not completely off that a ton of steel costs around 700 dollars um for the, for the ton and then you have per ton of st- steel depending on the emissions factor that will be somewhere around 1.8 so meaning you know one ton of steel produces 1.8 uh, tons of carbon so if you if you run that number you st- and basically, what's you know what's the price then on a price at a hundred uh, euros of carbon? Then you're coming somewhere to twenty to twenty-five percent of the cost of a ton of steel would actually be carbon if we have full implementation of the CBAM. Mm. Right. So that is not nothing, right? That's 20, quite 25%. a lot actually, twenty-five percent. Yeah. And then the the other question is, do they pass that through, or That's or is it like with inflation, like we've all seen the last couple of years, where things get expensive and then. <laughs> I don't know. In Italy, little anecdote, I, I, I live almost off-grid, so uh, I have to truck in all the water and all these things. Everything I truck in, they've increased the price because of the higher petrol petroleum costs. Mm-hmm. And then it never came down, and actually they kept increasing, and each time is the excuse <laughs> to increase it further. Yeah. But I mean, the gas price now is at, uh, what, like 38 uh, euros well, per megawatt when, hour? When we listen to this <laughs> podcast, Yeah, exactly. Guess, yeah. So <laughs> today is, uh, like, let's say, it's the 6th of December, and then this is... The price is much lower than last year. Yeah, exactly. So I wonder really, you know, maybe those 20 to 25 percent even get higher or or not. Right. But in the end, the the bill is growing and it it does have another inflation. On the other hand, I mean, it it takes really years and years with this slow phase in rate. We don't know what's really going to happen in, you know, eight years from now. Maybe. We have such a big recession that a bit of inflation is actually something positive. And to be honest, because it grows slowly, that means also maybe people will have time to decarbonize. So companies out you know, abroad will have time to decarbonize uh, and then you actually don't have to pay that much. But I think that's the, like the concept is, you know, you start paying little because you might not be ready. You're still with your old uh, process, blah, blah, yeah. cool. But yeah, mm. in eight years time, you better get something cleaner. Otherwise, you're going to be... And I wonder if, you know, this fact that they started so slowly wasn't also because they were scared, you know, that something would go wrong. And if they do it at such a small level, you know, maybe the impact is not so big. So you, you have kind of, you have time to, to fix the system before it really starts mm. taking up yeah. steam, right? Yeah. Which is which is interesting. I think, uh, Riham, you said that you heard that somewhere in Brussels. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm out. Very, right. very well connected, Riham. <laughs> <laughs> the spotlight is on me now. Like, yeah, like I, I heard somewhere in Brussels uh, that some people are spreading some rumors that maybe the CBAM wouldn't take off. But I think the, the no, but but what I meant was not that it wouldn't take off, but it that it might be more expensive in the first, first years. Of uh, course. Then yeah. basically just the bureaucracy behind it might be more expensive. Exactly, exactly. The Th- bureaucracy would be expensive. Then what yeah. the money you get back from you get from it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So th- th- these are... Now I heard that some people in Brussels <laughs> actually believe the CBAM will never happen. Yeah, that I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 find, I find difficult... I mean, I don't know. I'm I mean, kind they of agreed on it, but it's so complicated, right? It is so complicated, but I think we're so far into it that it's kind it's of kind of hard to back out from it. Yeah, yeah, but what if it's a complete nightmare and just kind of bombs out, basically? 
I mean, is it... Uh, uh, you know what? Uh, sometimes I think the EU has been able to, like with time, and they've been able to build the EU ETS, which is, I yeah. mean, you know better than me, but uh, I guess it's quite complex. Mm. Yeah, and it works. Indeed. And yeah. and everybody in the world says, you know, it took some time, but now it works. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I'm kind of thinking probably CBAM will be the same. Messy mm. at the start. Yeah. yeah. May have to do a few iteration of like, exactly. uh, let's fix it, let's not do yeah. that. Maybe the phase and rate. Um, the ETS was never messy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you have the inclusion of aviation. You have the yeah. uh, And that was interesting because there you had the trade war, right? When that happened and the stop the clock and all of that. Now, and that's actually a counterpoint to what I said, is you don't have that. Where's the trade war? Yeah. Where is India, um, you know, filing a WTO complaint? Um, not yet there, but they've <laughs> been talking about it. And also we know China has been also yes. not yeah. happy at all. They've took like what can be considered first step because they asked the EU to justify CBAM in front of the WTO, which is almost like your first step before filing a, a formal complaint. And um, we also saw at COP um, there was, I mean, China again mentioning, you know, CBAM, yeah, stop CBAM mm. basically because yeah. it's it's going to hurt. It's not fair. Yeah, it's it's one thing though to you know do the big talk, <laughs> and and another thing to file a complaint. Which, by the way, uh, they might also be just afraid to to lose such a case. So maybe that's the reason not to file it. And instead, set up your own system, right? Which, which a lot of countries are doing right now. Set up their own system and yeah. basically let their collect the money themselves yeah. rather than giving it to the EU. Yeah, um, that's definitely. I think uh, to be honest, one. Probably positive point of CBAM is all this talk about like spreading ETS or mm. carbon stack around the world. That you know, I think a lot of countries had some somewhere something in mind in the shelf. You know, they've done like preliminary study, but now is really the time like, oh, we better put our own ETS in place because otherwise, you're right, the, the revenue will go to the EU instead yeah. of staying in the country. Just the one thing that I think um, needs to be said clearly here that the EU is quite clear on it has to be an equivalent price, basically, right? Yeah. So it's not yes, like, oh, I exactly. set up a scheme. It, it costs five dollars and then yeah, you accept yeah, yeah. it so you need to pay the difference but then mm. also you have all those countries and i think this is a great area where you, where you don't have an ets and established price in place but you have voluntary systems mm -hmm. and this is just the thing, as a yeah, first if step. you have credit system exactly then what what does that mean what is the standard mm -hmm. and then what is the guarantee that those certificates would be accepted yeah. by the eu and yeah. they wouldn't be cancelled and then you would need to pay the full price yeah, yeah. imagine you're in that system and it's just a kind of an offsetting scheme and then the eu says yeah, That's we're not, not accepting it. So yeah. now you have to pay CBAM on top of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. And there's other ways, by the way, kind of speaking about, you know, wh what is accepted and what not. There's other ways how people can actually be sure that they are not, they don't have to pay basically the full CBAM price. I don't think we have time to go into that in detail right now. But these and other questions, uh, I think people can always reach out to you, Sophie, for, for further discussions and explanations. I want to get it to a draw here. Uh, thank you very much, everyone, for joining. I think it's an interesting discussion, certainly needs um, more discussion still until really we see the implementation phase from 2026 onwards so it's probably not the last time we talk about it but I'm for sure. now thank you very much for joining and see you next time see you next time Stefan this podcast is brought to you by Virtus Environmental Finance join us every month for new episodes don't forget to subscribe rate and share Stay tuned for our next episode.